It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Hi, it's Tony Bruschi from Real Ghost Stories Online, inviting you to subscribe to our other podcast called The Grave Talks. It's where I sit down and interview individuals who've had extreme paranormal situations happen to them in their lives. Just search The Grave Talks on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Be sure to press subscribe and give us some stars to help spread the word that this show exists. Now, here's a 15-minute preview of The Grave Talks. Today on The Grave Talks, Attached to the Dead, the Sam Baltrusis story. Sam Baltrusis has lived what some may call a haunted life. From a very young age, Sam realized that he had the gift of being able to hear and sometimes see the other side. Ghosts, spirits, and the undead were just another part of everyday life for Sam. Then one night after giving a historical performance in Salem, Sam found himself closer to the spirit world than he ever thought possible. Sam discovered that he had taken on the attachment of an angry spirit who nearly killed him. This is the haunted story of Sam Baltrusis and his experiences with the dead. So going way back to my childhood, I mean, I was pretty much like the kid from The Shining. So I was, I was little Danny Torrance um, with sensitivity at, at an early age. Um, so my first technical encounter was with my, was with my grandfather. Um, and um, this is after, after he passed, which when I was, I was really young when he passed. Uh, and I, I saw a man with glasses sitting on the corner of my bed, um, looking at me in a, in a very warm way. And it, and it didn't scare me. It was actually kind of, it was warm and, and kind of fuzzy. And I described this, the spirits to my mother and she's like, that's, that's your grandfather. And I'm like, oh, and you know, from, from then it was, I had, you know, I had a lot, I would, I would say like sensitivities to the paranormal. My mother would just say that I was sensitive. Um, she wouldn't say sensitive to the paranormal, but I was definitely sensitive to the paranormal at an early age. Um, things got, as a, as a young child, kind of like Danny Torrance or like the sixth sense, I, I got to the point where it was getting scary, uh, to the point where I put on what I, what I call paranormal blinders. So I had so many terrifying like visits from, from spirits that are like, not like my grandfather, not a warm spirit like my grandfather that terrified me so I, I got I became really scared and this was this was early on um, as I put on the paranormal blinders for many years even up until like my 30s and I kind of just dealt with uh, activity I, I tried to shrug it off so for example I lived in New York City for about 10 years I was walking by Washington Square Park um, I felt a hand grab my leg as I walked by um, and this turns out that this was a, a mass gravesite for tuberculosis patients in New York City. Had no idea. Um, thought maybe it was a homeless person or someone playing a gym for me. I wasn't really sure what it was. So those kinds of things happened throughout my life. It, it wasn't really until um, I started, I would write the, 
kind of like the typical, I was a journalist for about 20 years, and I, I would write the typical like Halloween haunted story. And one of those stories turned into my first book, which was Ghost Boston. When you say paranormal blinders, we we hear that quite often uh, of people almost saying, you know, they, they flipped the switch or they turned it off uh, when they have that level of sensitivity because it, it can be so uh, overwhelming uh, and, and, and unwanted in, in many cases. Some some want it. Some understand it right off the bat. Some it, it it's too much. Can you describe that for me in a little greater detail about how that works? Is it literally like you, you stop being sensitive to things or is it just there's so much of it it's almost white noise and and after a while you're just it's not standing out to you as much as in the past as if you live next to a train track the sound of the train pretty you know it stands out the first couple months you're there but eventually oh i didn't even realize a train was going by is it like that explain it to us it's pretty much like that so you become desensitized to the uh, activity. So uh, spirits were like reaching out to me at a young age. I would have really prophetic dreams, um, seven, eight years old. And I really, like, I remember looking back on those dreams, like those were like downloads. They weren't actual dreams that kids should have, you know, like they were like very kind of some, some of them were terrifying. Um, so that along with having <clears throat> that sensitivity, I just kind of, I blocked it out. Like, I, like if something would happen, like let's say like, you know, someone was trying to reach out to me, I would literally shut it, shut it down and kind of, kind of hide from it. Um, as I got older, I actually started, started drinking alcohol to kind of deal with it. Um, so I would actually use alcohol as like self-medication um, to deal with the sensitivity. And again, it was just sort of like, Oh, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm crazy or maybe like, I wasn't really sure what it was, but I just, I decided to kind of push it all away. Um, it wasn't until I actually got sober, um, which was about oh, 10 years ago, that it kind of, the gates opened up for me again, uh, in a sense that I was able to accept that I actually have abilities. And I, you know, then, I, then I'm like, well, I have this gift. Why be afraid of it? And so I, so I actually started approaching spirits like I did as a journalist. So I'd actually interview the ghost, and that became my first book. And tell me about that experience with that first book, and, and how did it come about uh, as far as the topics of it? Well, it was called Ghost of Boston, so it was based on my, first, my article for a magazine that I wrote called uh, Haunted Hotspots in Boston. And it was, so it was a lot of fun to, to do the research, and I would hang out in cemeteries and all sorts of things. So <clears throat> it, was a, it was a huge hit as far as people responding to it. A lot of people were like, Hey, that article was fantastic kind of thing. And then I, you know, then I, I had kind of like an epiphany in regards to uh, you know, like what I was supposed to do. Cause I, and I, again, I was, a, I was an entertainment journalist. So it wasn't like I did do some investigative work um, as a journalist, but I was, I was interviewing celebrities and it was kind of the same thing over and over and over again. And I wanted, I wanted something different. And so I just, I had this, actually pretty profound dream um, with a woman and the woman was like, I was in this dream. It was kind of like this kind of really realistic dream. And it was like almost, I went to a different dimension and this woman wearing, um, I kind of, I, I kind of relate this woman to the like a prayer video from Madonna. She was wearing robes and she's like, you must write and you don't have much time. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> what does that mean? Ominous. So I ended up, I ended up um, pitching the, the, the book 
to my, my first publisher and I got the, the book deal the, the very next day. So you, you, you begin to, to, to write this book and, and, and put it together. Where is the content coming from? I know you said in, in dreams, but, but tell me how, how are you getting uh, the, the story for the book? Well, my books are, are history books with ghost stories. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I first, when I first wrote uh, Ghost of Austin, it was really the whole idea behind it was it for, to, for it to be a history book. Mm-hmm. And so like that, and that's, that's kind of like the structure of my article, Haunted Hotspots in Boston, was really it was a historical piece with ghost stories. So I'm like, I'll take that. And I started reading all the, the local ghost books and like all the local authors. I'm like, you know, I can do this and I can do this better. Mm-hmm. So I read everything I could first, uh, and then I approached it like kind of like putting down the locations and I wanted to do, I wanted to do Salem. I wanted to do, you know, not just, not just Boston. I wanted to kind of expand beyond. And my publisher was like, just focus on Boston for the first book. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that, that was a, that was actually really smart because my third book on Salem was my breakthrough mm-hmm. seller. So like, that's my, that's my best seller. So I ended up just kind of focusing on Boston and I, I did a lot of research and it was a pretty, a pretty, I would say like the research was pretty fantastic for that first book. Now, obviously, there, there's a lot of uh, ghost stories, lore, and and factual history uh, surrounding Salem that goes to the dark, that goes to the spooky and the macabre and everything. Um, so it, it's easy to understand why someone would be drawn to it if that's a topic that you're researching and reporting on. For you personally, though, what uh, what were some of the stories that really drew you in to Salem? Well, I'll tell you, Salem for me was the book that I did not want to write. And the reason why I didn't want to write it, I thought it was over, like everyone's written a book on Salem. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look, like, type it in Google, it's like a hundred books on Salem. But if you really look at it, there's not a lot of books on Salem's paranormal history. And I wanted to write that book. So what drew me in initially was, of course, the, the horrible witch trials in 1692. Uh, we were 19 innocent men and women were hanged for witchcraft. And then one gentleman, Giles Corey, was pressed to death over a two-day period. So I started with that, and it just kind of expanded beyond to, to multiple time frames in Salem, kind of giving Salem more than just being the place where the white witches were, or witches that were, were innocent men and women were executed. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Did, let's dive into that, because obviously when you hear Salem, the next word that comes to someone's mind is witch, and and that's where everyone right. goes, and that's what's been re, you know talked about you know five hundred ways to Sunday. Um, so, but obviously the, this this town, this city has a much deeper and richer history than just the witch trials. Obviously, that puts it on the map, uh, you know, in, in terms of popular culture. But uh, let's dig deeper into the paranormal history of Salem. How far back does it go, and, and what did you find in, in your research? Let's dive into some of those stories specifically that really stand out to you about Salem. Well, I mean, it's getting back to what I was saying earlier, like a lot of, there wasn't a lot of lot written about the paranormal aspect of Salem. So everyone would say it's haunted. Um, there was a gentleman, his name was Bob Cahill, and he, every city has like the one guy from the 70s or 80s that wrote the, the quintessential New England ghost book on that specific city. And Bob Cahill was the go-to guy uh, in the 70s and 80s. So I actually read all of his books and he, you know, 
people kind of, you know, I'll tell you, like, it's changed dramatically from from that time. I think people were would kind of like look at ghost stories as um, kind of like ghost porn. Like, <laughs> like they, they would like buy buy, especially my first book. They would buy my book and like they would want it in like a, a brown paper bag because uh, they didn't want to be seen with a ghost book. Mm-hmm. And I think that's typical for for New England specifically. But Salem Salem had a lot of witch history, but they didn't have a lot of paranormal history. And I, I couldn't figure out why. And <laughs> after like really thinking about it, if you look look at the actual Salem witch trials, a lot of the evidence that was used to accuse these innocent men and women was spectral evidence. So spectral evidence is basically made up like ghost like a ghost of so so and so goody glover was sitting on my bed and attacked me or afflicted me. So this actual made up evidence was was used to accuse innocent men and women for witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And, and and with with those pieces of evidence that are thrown out there, um and obviously many completely innocent people died uh, in in the the Salem witch trials. But when you started to dig deeper into the history of actual paranormal events, what did you find as, as far as what were factual ghost stories, um, you know, of the area that that go back uh, to however far back you, you want to go with this? I'm not sure if they document things going that far back or if it's all littered with the witch stories. Um, but but what are you finding in terms of of the paranormal activity that was truly paranormal activity in the Salem area? Well, I mean, like my theory really is like that if you look at the witch trials, like the transcripts from the Salem witch trial, mm-hmm. that perhaps some of the activity that they were dealing with they, they used as spectral evidence was actual ghosts. Mm-hmm. It could have been parano- paranormal activity. If you look at it, for example, um, there, there's testimony of you know people having dreams, pretty much like me. Um, where they would have a dream, but it, but the dreams would be used to accuse, you know, someone of being a witch. Mm-hmm. So, and if you look at some of the testimony, like for example, Bridget Bishop, when she was carted off to be hanged for witchcraft, and Bridget Bishop was the first woman to be executed and the only woman to be executed by herself. Um, a board basically mysteriously flew from the church while she was driving by, and of course, they attributed that to her being a witch. So there was paranormal activity back then, but of course there's the Giles Corey, and Giles Corey was the guy who was who was pressed to that, and he's been spotted before disaster. So like that's Nathaniel Hawthorne writes about him. So it's the ghost lore has been part of the culture for for many many years. I hope you enjoyed your 15-minute preview of our new podcast, The Grave Talks. Be sure to subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download podcasts to not miss any episode of the show. New episodes every single Monday. Just search for The Grave Talks and then press subscribe. Give us a review while you're at it and some stars that will help us grow in the rankings and let other folks know that the show exists to make an even better show for you. The Grave Talks. Check it out at thegravetalks.com. The all-new Toyota Highlander Hybrid is designed to go Highlander. What's go Highlander, you ask? It means amplifying your drive with best-in-class EPA-estimated 35 MPG combined so you can keep on keeping on wherever the road takes you. Don't just go farther. Go Highlander in the all-new Toyota Highlander Hybrid. Toyota, let's go places. 2020 Highlander Hybrid all-wheel drive, 35 city, 35 highway, 35 combined MPG EPA estimates. Actual mileage will vary. 2020 Highlander Hybrid versus 2020 competitors based on data at www.fueleconomy.gov. SF2-1820. It's the game everyone's talking about, Shim Sham. 
a laugh out loud adventure for you and your cockroaches. Part board game, part dance off, Shim Sham is loads of fun for cockroaches of all ages. Just spin the wheel, strike your pose, and get ready for a scurrying cockroach. Don't let roaches ruin the moment. Orkin, home is where the bugs aren't. Visit orkin.com to learn more.